Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another fall weekend here in Wisconsin. And we are fortunate to have our Executive Director with us, Robert Craig. Robert, good to have you. Always great to be here on Battleground Wisconsin, Matt. Yeah. Well, Robert, we are recording on Thursday evening and... It is just after the big U.S. Senate debate of which you uh, were able to attend. Uh, it's, uh, it was quite the show, I'll just say. Well, everyone who watched it on TV or watched it later on YouTube uh, may have an advantage over me. In fact, you could, I could not see Ron Johnson's face. You had to choose whose face you want to see with the cameras, the way they were angled, and I chose Mandela. But... Yeah, I think that kind of set debate back and that's saying something given the quality of political debates, which is not high in this country. Well, Robert, my favorite part of the debate was the end of the debate. And all I can just say to you, I've never really been given the opportunity because, you know, after working with you for decades, right, we work in the political world and it's so divisive. I've just never had the opportunity to tell you that, you know, you're you're an amazing person. And, you know, your father, a, a hot dog historian, your mother, an amazing counselor. How the hell did you turn out to be such a piece of garbage and such an un-American pile of shit? So you're, ta- you're saying Ron Johnson's the values candidate. So if Ron does it, it must be good. Just... Because he certainly exemplified what it means to be a statesman and, and a great a great senator uh, in this debate. I mean, oh. the problem is is that that his think. I mean, some of the audience. I mean, there was a laugh track. I don't know if you hear it in TV, but there was almost a laugh track. Particularly when oh, you... he started throwing the FBI and other uh, other the weird right wing stuff. Oh, you could hear it, Robert. It was. If anything, I described it to Brian as a bit of a raucous crowd because the crowd was regularly uh, asked to be quiet. It was often guffawing at things that uh, Senator Johnson had to say. But, folks, if you didn't see it, what I was referencing is at the end of this, like, you know, very back and forth, often going after each other, uh, but also talking about the trashy ads, they asked them to just say something nice about each other. And Mandela took the opportunity to say that he respected that the senator cared deeply about his family and had done obviously a very good job of like taking care of them and providing for them whereas senator johnson after saying he respected his parents proceeded to call mandela barnes un-american and the crowd turned on him it was quite an ending he said he loved Mandela's parents uh, and their story, and that's why it's so upsetting and shocking that their son is so awful and has turned against America. It was unbelievable. That was the praise answer. It was unbelievable. It was a fitting end to what has just been a trashy, awful campaign. So, Robert, look, we all saw it here. We'll talk later about the Marquette poll. After seeing the Marquette poll results, for me, it's like this is no longer about the back and forth of issues. It is literally we got to turn people out. But we'll talk about that after in the next segment. I do want to give you an opportunity since you were there to give your sort of sense as someone who attended one of these. I don't think a lot of folks get an opportunity for that sometimes. Uh, Just 
your sense on sort of the highlights, what your takeaway is from it. Look, we were on a college campus, and despite the fact that it was a Jesuit Catholic college campus, there I think there was a lot of that crowd was there uh, very offended by the uh, abdication of women's rights, uh, the, the, the decision to overturn Roe, and there were a lot of pink Planned Parenthood shirts, so Planned Parenthood supporters uh, in the audience. And so I, that was the predominant feel you got, for, and, and there was a much bigger Mandela crowd than Ron Johnson, and there was a big Mandela demonstration outside the event, actually, that, that was at Tick, took over the Wisconsin Avenue in front of Marquette, in front of the Varsity Theater. So, I mean, that just to give you ambience that you couldn't necessarily see on TV. Uh, as far as the debate itself, it is really hard to know with these debates who is watching, whether anyone persuadable is watching, or anyone who might be on the fence about whether they're going to vote or not. In other words, uh, drop off voters. And so in some ways, it, it could be just like a Bears-Packers game, as Charles Benson, the host, said. Uh, and that is to say that each side just believed the mm -hmm. other one, was, their, their side was winning. Um, what's interesting is, since I went to college on debate scholarship and coach college debate, of course, it grates me when Mandela didn't respond to a lot of the stuff that Ron Johnson said, especially around fossil fuels and, and, uh, and uh, the Green New Deal, but I know that in terms of what political consultants think, that the public doesn't process things that way necessarily. And Mandela was probably being much more disciplined and letting a lot of the stuff uh, Johnson was saying uh, just pass and to stick to what he wanted to really ram home. And I would say that Mandela is further ramping up and really went after Ron Johnson from the get-go on being you know, a rich billionaire who's operated for the interest of himself and his billionaire contributors, not everyone else. And he was much sharper than I've seen him. It doesn't mean he's talking all the time all over the state, so he may be doing this already. But I haven't seen him that sharp on the deficit answering, well, why did you want to spend $2 trillion on a huge tax cut for corporations and the wealthy, including yourself and your donors, and now you're going to say that we have the money to continue Social Security? So I thought Mandela was sharp, and obviously he was being very disciplined, which, of course, grates me as a debater because he left a lot of crazy Ron Johnson arguments dangling out there. He did. Robert, I, I, I did feel he did a good job of calling Johnson out as a hypocrite around police and support for police and the attacks on him and was able to make the, you know, the stark comparison to January 6th and, of course, Johnson's horrendous comments about that and it just speaks to privilege but also about the fact that he also both uh as it relates uh has has supported similar policies to what he's attacking mandela for and you know to the credit of On the parole because he's yeah. gone after him for uh, and, and the governor and the administration for even having parole, which they can't actually repeal, um, when he when he Ron Johnson had voted for uh, a lot, for expanding parole for federal prisoners. Yeah, exactly. And, there Johnson, were, and there was a lot of examples of that. Johnson sputtered there because he he basically his defense of it is is right right like he was trying to talk about it was it's the right thing to do but because they're so craven in these ads 
they're just lying right about what is the right solution. And we'll talk more about this after this election about what really makes us safe. Right. We got we got this election is a demonstration of how much work we have to do uh, the vulnerability that just that you can have, you know, seventy five million dollars worth of trash ads on this that really confuse people to a point where they honestly don't even know. And there's so much thrown at the wall where even Democratic people are like, well, did he do that or what is that? Right. Like they ask the, people want to what are they trying to reference? Right. Uh, but it ultimately just trashes and tarnishes the waters. The other thing I wanted to say, uh, uh, Robert, and I'll give it back to you is because uh, I'm going to beat this dead horse. Uh, they did a very uh, kudos, kudos to Channel 4. You did a really good job of sticking to only having to do one hour of serious journalism, and then you could get back to running endless hours of trashy, horrible ads. Thank you for your contribution to democracy. Robert. So TMJ did not run any of those ads during the hour. That's a good point. Just uh, oh well, we're, we're grateful for up. the hour, Robert. We're the people are really grateful that they get their public airwaves, and we get one hour, and then we go back to endless hours and millions, tens of millions of dollars of trash ads that they're profiting off of. Yeah, no, I mean, they're speaking of media hypocrisy. Uh, you were talking about the hypocrisy part of this, that Mandela really tried to go after Johnson with specific examples. And you guys on TV could see Johnson's face. I couldn't, but he sounded like he was sputtering. But, you know, he I was. didn't get the nonverbals. Um, but from from I just heard his voice. Um, I What's interesting is Ron Johnson just kept asserting that Mandela, you can't believe a thing he's ever said that he. He, that he, he has a college degree, if he has one in performance, and he made a comment that we have trouble nailing down what degree Mandela might have gotten. Um, and there he's a performer, and this is all made up, and he's never done anything in his life, all of this stuff. And he never came up with any, he never on point I came up with any example of where Mandela was, you know, talking out both sides of his mouth, right, or didn't stand for what he said. I just it, so it was just an ad hominem attack. Now I don't know if this matters with any vote, any persuadable voters that might have been watching or might watch later, but it, but Mandela grounded it a whole lot better. Um, and I and I yeah you know you listen to this stuff. It's really hard to tolerate the stuff Johnson puts out around immigration, which was gross, gross on crime. And then this Joseph project that you would oh. think would be some great government initiative. And this is one of these right wing kind of little little initiatives that helps a few people. It buses a whole lot of Milwaukee folks, black folks in Milwaukee, up to Sheboygan for kind of mediocre jobs. And and he and he said at the he said at one point, Ron Johnson, which just shows how conceited he is, that this is one of the most heartwarming things he's done. It's just, I guess there are other heartwarming things Ron Johnson did. Certainly his performance was not heartwarming. Well, Robert, we're going to have to wrap up this segment. When when we come back, um, we're going to dive into the Marquette poll uh, and talk more about it. But uh, yeah, look, I, I, I think I think Barnes won the debate. One thing I would I think debates, though, end up being about sound bites that can be replayed. I wished he had said something that directly addressed voters who are still making up their mind or have moved. Hey, if you were someone, you know, and be honest about what they see, because I do think independent voters are swinging 
and I like can swing back and I wish he had addressed them directly and just said, look, you know, in a way that like, look, I, I, I want to compete for your vote. Like I'm not just going after because I because I think he did that very well on the issues, but it's worth always sort of calling out. I always we call it inoculation when I was a union organizer. It's always important to be clear about calling out what your opponent's doing and to speak directly to those folks. That's one thing that I would have liked to have seen. But overall, I thought he did a good job. And I do think Johnson uh, definitely struggle. But with that, we do have to wrap this up, folks. We got to take a break on the back end. We're going to dive in. We're going to talk about the Marquette poll. Robert's going to tell us about really exciting stuff that we're doing around holding we energies accountable for their uh, horrendous rate hikes and their failure to really do things about transitioning to a green economy. And we will be joined by Aaron Richardson, who is running for the state treasurer. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. To the battleground wisconsin robert this is a great way to pick up from the debate <laughs> conversation because these numbers are probably being heavily debated today and will be for the next couple of weeks and that is the marquette university law poll uh, in the name of brevity we'll save uh robert's normal disclosures about what the polls limits are and i'll just quickly highlight them both it's always a challenge both with margin of error and that's on both the candidates each of their ratings in the margin of error and the more challenging the art of turnout however robert the marquette poll um came out yesterday wednesday and we record on Thursday. The big, the biggest news is essentially the state is still extraordinarily tight. There's really not news there, but there does appear to be a growing gap again within margins of error, where Ron Johnson now amongst um, certain voters has a 52-46 lead over Mandela Barnes. But the really important thing here, and this gets to the art and all of what your critiques of polling are. And I think uh, Charles Franklin laid this out very well for everyone. The less than certain to vote. These are the registered voters who may or may not vote. Doesn't even include people who aren't registered, who could show up the day of election. Barnes is winning 51 to 31. A complete annihilation. But Robert, <laughs> will these folks vote? First of all, Robert, any thoughts on this number or anything else Marquette poll related? Yeah, just uh, one quick comment on margin of error. Just so you know, when you have four-point margin of error, it's four points each way, which means a six-point lead for Johnson, this is confounding to the public and the media, is a tie statistically, and academics would not consider it a, st a statistically significant result. Just so folks know, and the issue cuts on this poll are 6% margin of error, many of them, because they have split samples. Anyway, having said that, there are patterns that we are seeing in a number of polls in the cross Marquette that we should take seriously. But again, they're projecting who is going to vote. So this is, and if we change who's going to vote, the poll is off. And that's what Trump did in 16 and 20. He turned out many more people than the pollsters predict. That was the error. They did not do anything wrong in their calculations of who they talked to. They talked to the wrong composition of voters all of the polls, both those elections. So we do, but we see this consistent decline among independent voters and, and it's there for Evers too, to a lesser extent. 
Um, Absolutely. And our theory of the case always was is that Tony Evers, his entire lane is moderation. Independents were moderate, ticket splitters. And that's a shrinking group of people, even though it's still significant in a close election. And that we needed a candidate who can inspire the base. At this point, it is we have an incomplete on whether Mandela is successfully inspiring the base. And I think, in other words, he could be. And we also don't know what the turnout impact is going to be of, of, of uh, abortion. And I just, I am frustrated on how primitive polling really is because there's been more polling than God on, on the abortion issue in Wisconsin. It doesn't really get to the bottom of, are a lot more people going to come to the polls because of it or not? Uh, I will say this. What is really scary about the post-Citizen United world, uh, where, by the way, we were told by the Supreme Court justices that this would create a more robust marketplace of ideas. Uh, do you like the marketplace of ideas they presented to us here? Uh, here's the thing. You can spend tens of millions of dollars, upwards of 50 million, and you can set the agenda. Crime was not the top agenda issue in this in, in, and, and at top of mind. They've made it top of mind with spending. It would not organically be there. In fact, most people feel personally safe. Again, that's in the Marquette poll, 75%. So it's a cultural marker, what side you're on. It's not about people's personal safety. It's just very bizarre. And he is the other, he is with these dangerous black and brown people and dangerous black um, elected officials and Muslim elected officials, because of course they always, without fail, show Representative Omar so they can get in some anti-Muslim um, anti imagery with um, her traditional dress. Uh, so anyway, um, it's critical for us to change the subject. I really think it's as simple as these independents are moving on crime because crime has been raised the top of mind and other issues they would they could vote and otherwise have sunk in terms of um, in terms of their thinking about them when they decide to vote and that's what lock elections are about they're about what's top of mind for voters when they vote and, and so this is scary that they've been able to do this but there's plenty of time to change it and a lot of those not sure to vote people you talked about they're not influenced by that so that's another reason we can't rely on independence entirely Look, Robert, the poll's really crystal clear. We can rely at almost two to one. If we can get people who may or may not show up, they're going to vote disproportionately for Mandela Barnes. The Marquette poll's crystal clear about that. That's not even close to the margin of error, 5131. And so, people, I've never seen a poll that has laid out so clearly for progressives what our own agency is in this election like we can complain all we want about the money and the ads they're awful and they're going to be historically bad and after the election it'll be tabulated it will be a significant impact robert talked about it it's managed to make an issue that quite frankly that is rare not is almost never discussed in the U.S. Senate, right? It's not anything that we, most people have been talking about, right? And elevate it to the point where it's a dominant issue with 70% of sick, gross, trashy, and racist ads, right? But this shows, and Marquette Poll said, if amongst registered voters, the race is tied, okay? 
we also have are a same day voter registration state, which means we can bring more people to the polls who aren't registered. And we do that every election cycle. In fact, it's routinely anywhere from nine to 14% sometimes of the electorate. Folks, the margins are there, but it's us. If the phone banks tonight, Thursday we make calls, Saturday at noon and three, Sunday the doors on Saturday that we're doing and all around there's opportunities to get involved. If they're not fully staffed, right, we are less likely to have the surge of voters we need. But it's there. It's all there. It's never been clear, folks. Please get involved. If you can't physically get involved, please donate to our program. We're going to have a donate link. We are on the phones every day talking to both these undecided voters, which continue to move. We are moving them at a 13% rate right now, folks. Very important. And we're talking to the voters who may or may not show up. Both critically important to get this done. Robert, any final thoughts on the Marquette poll? I think it's harming us. Public schools really uh, jump out in this poll. And that's really a state issue. And other than talking about the threat of universal vouchers, so the negative part, I don't know what the aspirational agenda of Tony Evers is on schools. I mean, there should be one. It could be inspiring. This is the limit of his political approach and their, their grand strategy on his um, in, on his team. Uh, but there's there's something missing there because remember, we can't just scare people about what Johnson will do, what Michaels do. We have to inspire them as to what we would do. Going to young voters that might not vote and say, Johnson's gonna put Social Security in the chopping block. They don't even think they're gonna get it now, okay? And that they wanna know how it's gonna improve their life prospects. They get crappy jobs. A lot of them are still living with their parents because they can't even afford apartment rent because of how they're being paid, even though they have college degrees and they have student debt. And what is, what is going to happen that, that could improve their lives and uh, give them the opportunity their parents had? Because this is the first generation with, in many respects, less opportunity than their parents. And Democrats need to make that case. Mandela is best positioned to make that case effectively. But it can, And the other thing on crime is, I think there's growing research, Matt, that you can't just duck and pivot. And I think Mandela does a very good job in the debates. I'd like to see it more on TV, talking about the underlying causes of crime, talking about a balanced approach. Um, I think that they, that invests in, in, you know, we need to reduce poverty. We need stronger education. We need to really deal with the crisis in mental health, uh, the housing crisis, et cetera, uh, substance use. I mean, in terms of a, a medical approach, not in terms of throw away the key approach. And uh, he does make that argument uh, quite well, better than most candidates, but it's not being sold on TV right now. So it, the, the, the only solution to crime being put on TV right now is more police, where I don't know, there's been no defunding of the police, Matthew. So, so why is there alleged crime wave? What is well, going on? Apparently the threat of defunding is causing, uh, causing the crime, the alleged crime. Look, again, I'm going to close this discussion by reminding you one of the great things about our phone calls and our doors is we create space for you to be able to have deep, serious conversations with these voters to share a little bit about yourself, why you would take the time to talk with them.
It allows you to talk about those issues, to talk about the issues that matter. Uh, and I can assure you, crime is not what I'm talking to people about. It's not what they want to talk about. They may reflect some of what they're hearing. So that's on us. That's on our agency. We can complain all we want about the money, the TV ads, what candidates are saying in this. Everyone's a freaking great pundit. But like, put that, put your punditry to the test and talk to voters. Talk to the actual voters who are still not sure whether they're voting or who are still persuadable. And with that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, we are going to be joined, not in this segment, but in our last segment, very exciting, we're going to be joined by Aaron Richardson. Aaron is the Democratic candidate for treasurer. Very excited to hear from Aaron. That'll be in our next segment. But before Aaron joins us, Robert, I have two things I want to talk with you about. One is I want to briefly mention the Federal Reserve again. because I'm obsessed with it. Uh, And we're also going to talk about an event that we're doing on Saturday at noon here in Milwaukee around We Energies and its rate hikes. We'll get to that. But first, Robert, you know, I am pissed off about the lack of sort of economic literacy in this country and within the Democratic Party, within us as progressives. And I think a lot of this reflects just sort of the labor movement ain't what it used to be. And it used to be large and help educate folks on sort of, um, shall we say, different approach to the economy than the neoliberal thing uh, world we're swimming in. And so it's very frustrating. It feels like there's very little discussion uh, around the Federal Reserve. It looks like, Robert, they are going to raise interest rates again. They are literally sparking a recession that is not necessarily, doesn't have to be. And by the way, just the way they're attacking inflation, it's all about punishing workers. Workers will be the ones who pay the price for the Fed's approach. Uh, Robert, the reason I brought this up again today is Social Security announced today the new COLA for the year, 8.7%. It is the largest COLA increase in 40 years. Takes us back to the Carter administration when we had 9, 13, and I think 10, 10 or 11% increases between 79 and 81. Robert, obviously President Biden does not want to repeat Carter is allowing, appears to be allowing the Fed to go at it with a hammer just to get this damn inflation rate number down. And so that next year, the COLA ain't 8.7. Robert, your thoughts? Well, thank God that we have Ron Johnson because he's going to save okay. security by putting on the chopping block, right? Because that's going to be expensive to pay that COLA, Matt. And Ron says we don't have the money for that. We do for giant tax cuts for billionaires and for unlimited defense spending, but apparently we don't for Social Security, according to the great monetary and uh, and fiscal theorist uh, Ron Johnson. So here's this is this is a tragedy and a dilemma, Matt. We have very limited tools as a society when Congress uh, has abdicated its constitutional function. Uh, there are all sorts of tools Congress could do that would that are not involved in 
uh, slowing down the economy and inducing at least a mild recession. Well, you're right about the recession. 85% of CEOs now think there will be a, a, a recession. They think it'll be mild. Uh, Steve, uh, that, you know, the uh, people like the head of Facebook are warning of layoffs. You know, they yeah. just, you know, they just, uh, you know, that he just doesn't have enough money. The company's too but, poor. But that's the problem, Robert. That. Inflation may be bad. A recession, way worse and really bad for workers. I mean, workers, at least over the last two years, especially lower end workers, have been making serious gains that counterbalance this inflation. This guarantees that comes to an end. We're already seeing last month's job growth numbers already show great, like cooling off of the uh, economy. It's it's um, and we're even seeing some summers even suggested that we ought not <laughs> to leave uh, increasing rates. It's, but you're right to call the literacy, Matt, because the public seems unaware of the wage growth and the fact that they have jobs because of what's been done by President Biden and are only focused on inflation. And the Biden folks know that inflation is the top issue in the Marquette poll. So it's toxic to Democrats. So, of course, it's in their political interest as well. Just let the Fed do what the Fed has the power to do, which is slow down the economy deliberately by raising interest rates. It doesn't have to be this way, but you. this is why, yeah, you're right. There's this, uh, it, it's a total disconnect. In other words, you hardly see any Democrats, even progressive Democrats, articulating a clear alternative. And there are many alternatives. And let's put it this way. This is such a heartless country. Things could become normalized and invisible, like mass incarceration is to seem like the new normal, or massive phalanxes of police, right? It, it's been made to seem normal because that's been our experience, right? In Europe, and this was true during the COVID recession, they didn't allow companies just to make ma have mass layoffs. They paid companies to keep people on the payroll, okay? So they were still connected to their jobs, and when the economy picked up, they were reemployed. They didn't lose income. American capitalism wants to shed workers. It saves them money. It improves the bottom line. They'd, they'd scream bloody murder if you made them keep workers. They like laying them off. That's why the airlines have enough pilots. They found a way around the, uh, the ba their bailout and actually gave huge buyouts to their senior pilots to save money. And now, oh, we need the senior pilots. But we had some really good quarters for Wall Street. That is, and by the way, workers, uh, workers have uh, lost loyalty to companies because there is no loyalty. A lot of young workers have gotten the idea. It's not even. It doesn't even matter how hard they work. They're still going to get screwed. Uh, and th th there's there's no way. There's no meritocracy at all. Mm -hmm. There's just uh, cynicism and, and oops, we're going to cut you off now because we're shedding payroll. And I am going to cut you off because we. I've got to get to our final topic, but before we do, I am going to preview. This is just a preview. Um, we are going to have a regular feature that will be starting up on the show next week. We are going to start talking regularly about the economy. Uh, Dr. Michael Rosen is going to join us regularly to help us talk more, to increase our literacy. I take personal responsibility. I told Michael, I, I, I have a decent sense of the economy and economics, but I really don't know enough and I need to, we need to get better. Otherwise uh, it's going to be really hard to build a progressive majority that can have changed the economy in a way that's going to actually help workers. So with that, 
uh, we'll have Dr. Rosen next week. We'll talk more about that next week and hope that, that we expect to be a monthly feature. But Robert, I need, I need your help. I need you to help educate, enlighten our listeners. We have four minutes left in the segment, and I want you to talk about the big event that we're having on Saturday, uh, pushing back against We Energy's rate hikes. This Saturday, noon in Milwaukee, Zeidler, Zeidler Square, Zeidler Park in, in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, Robert, tell us why this event's so important. And also, please highlight like one of the main things behind this is just how We Energy's um, in the way they go about this disproportionately impacts people of color in, in, in Milwaukee and throughout the state. There's an exciting new coalition. This isn't just our rally on Saturday of Walnut Way, um, Sierra Club, about a number of other environmental groups. And really it's come together around the We Energy's rate hike because they're asking for massive rate hikes this year and they want to do more next year to pay for a climate transition, when in fact, they're one of the worst utilities in the country. They were ranked 22nd of the 25 biggest in their climate work and given a D last week in a report, major report released by the Sierra Club. Uh, and in fact, the, the, so you have a, a utility which has tremendous economic power. We talked about things being invisible, Matt. They are the invisible hand behind state government. There's research that shows that when a big, the biggest utility in a state, and that's We Energies, is hostile to a climate transition, that has a huge impact on state policy. And they have all sorts of ways to control because they make money by building giant plants. They want to squeeze out maximum profits out of coal-powered plants they should never have built because climate change was a certainty, and then control the transition from climate that'll be too late. So it can be big, massive projects they control and is more expensive rather than distributed energy controlled by people like rooftop solar, like having much more energy efficient homes, et cetera. And by, with this business model, we have the second highest utility rates in the Midwest. It's expensive. We have horrendous racial and economic inequality on, on um, utilities in, in Milwaukee. Uh, energy burden is the percent you pay for your utility bills. Anything over 6% is considered highly problematic. It makes you have trouble making ends meet. Uh, it is upwards of 10, 15, even 20% in a lot of the Black community and some of the Latinx community in Milwaukee. And people, are, and you know, nationally, and it's worse here, 20% of, uh, 6%, um, one in six people, 20 million people are behind on their utility bills. There is a cost crisis. It's, there's an economic inequality issue when people are deciding whether they're going to miss rent and face eviction, be able to pay for food and, or, or medical care, or whether they're going to pay their absorbent utility bills, and they want more. And so combining those two issues, Matt, the economic and structural racism of a big power like We Energies, which, which dominates state energy policy, and then what they're going to do to make us miss all the climate deadlines and risk human civilization, that is crystallizing together. So I know the Green New Deal is a really nice kind of um, uh, a slogan and a resolution in Congress and has motivated a lot of people. This is like the nuts and bolts of a movement designed to take on the people standing, defending the status quo and, and standing in the way that this so, could be the beginning of a social movement to get Green New Deal from Milwaukee and Wisconsin. So Robert, remind everybody again before we go to break Saturday, the event. 
Zeidler Park at noon, and the MC is Citizen Action's own uh, Kiva Geden, who is our energy burden organizer on the north side of Milwaukee, and, and a lot of great coalition partners there. I think there may even be some music they're talking about. This is going to be a nice event. So take a little break from your canvassing, because Matt yep. told you you have to go and talk to voters uh, to go to this rally or, or or canvas earlier, like Matt and I decided. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the doors at 9.30, do two and a half hours, go to the event. Folks, please join us, Zeidler Square, Zeidler Park, whichever you want to call it, in Milwaukee, noon, Saturday. With that, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action... Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are super excited to have our endorsed candidate for the state treasurer. That's right. We have Aaron Richardson. He is looking to replace Sarah Godlewski. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Aaron, it's great. Uh, we were very close. We've been very close with Sarah Godlewski and uh, she would come on the podcast regularly when she got first elected to help educate us as to what the treasurer was doing. And of course, at the time, uh, what wasn't happening in the office. But Aaron, tell our listeners more about yourself, why yeah. you decided to run and just a little bit more about who you are, since um, you are new to probably a lot of folks statewide. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think Sarah did a fantastic job in this role. And that's probably the first thing that I tell people is that I'm going to keep doing all the great things she's done. And hopefully that includes coming on the podcast on a little more regular basis. <laughs> but a little well, bit we'd, about be, we'd love to have you. <laughs> all right. Good. <laughs> for myself, I am currently the mayor in Fitchburg, Wisconsin, and have been for three and a half years. And I also work full-time in the Oregon School District. Fitchburg is not full-time with the mayor. I know some communities are. And, you know, we're a community of about 32,000 people, but it isn't full-time for us. So I kind of have that balance. And I really think that that speaks to my expertise and my qualifications for this role. I think when you look at the position, you look at what you need to do in this role, I think I'm uniquely qualified because I have that experience running the city. We've got $25 million operating budget, $100 million capital budget. And so I have that experience there running the community, being the leader of the community. But I think the most important thing that the treasurer does is provide money to school district libraries throughout the state. And so working in the school district, I see how important that is, how great a job our schools do with very limited funding. So I want to make sure that I'm getting as much money as possible into our school districts. So Robert, yeah. Robert, you get first follow up. So let's talk about the treasurer's office. It's been gutted over the years. Constitutionally, it's actually supposed to be a big financial role to make sure a democratically elected and accountable person is overseeing budget choices. That has been taken away by the governor and the Department of Administration over the years, and then the very powerful Joint Budget Writing Committee, the Joint Finance Committee, the legislature, where I don't it, it plays a much lesser role. You you talked about something it still does, which is important. Uh, I sense that your opponent is yet another Republican who wants to run for something he doesn't believe in. So I don't know why we'd be paying this person a salary if they were elected, but he doesn't really want to do anything. I wonder if you could lay out your vision and whether you see it playing 
something much closer to its constitutional role, because you would think it would be better democratic government if someone had to face the voters who was mm -hmm. responsible for the fiscal health of the state and could actually say, can we give away this giant, this surplus? Is it really a permanent surplus or not? Or does it need to be put in a rainy day fund or invested in investments like education that pay off and improve prosperity in the long term? And that would be better than, I don't know, who's making those decisions right now. It, it's not just unelected bureaucrats, it's behind closed doors. Absolutely. And you're right about my opponent. It seems like he was probably on the side of eliminating the office five years ago. And for some reason, he's running for this and just saying, well, I'm just essentially not going to do much in this role. It baffles me. I don't know why you would run for a role that you don't think is that important and you don't want to do anything in that role. I think there's a couple of things that I want to add to this role on top of the things Sarah has already done. One is financial literacy. I think it makes a lot of sense for the treasurer to be involved in promoting financial literacy throughout the state. And there's a credit union headquartered in Dane County that has won awards for financial literacy and has already told me that if I'm elected, they're going to share all that with me and we'll put this on the treasurer's website. There's going to be materials for adults, for kids, for teachers to use with kids, and that's already created. And they have it in English and Spanish. So I think that's important as well. I want to translate into Hmong. That's another language I think is incredibly important in this state. So that's one thing that I think I want to add to this role. And the other is increasing home ownership. And there's a lot of programs throughout the state communities are trying to do. If we can provide money to kind of close gaps and to make some of the things happen and increase home ownership opportunities, that's something that I want to do. And that's something that we're trying to pilot right now here in Fitchburg. And so I think those are both incredibly important. It's going to be a challenge to get some of those responsibilities back, I think, into the office, especially with the Republican-led legislature. But I do really think that one of the things that I can do in this role is speak to my experience running the city and advocate for our communities, because I know how the decrease or, well, I guess it's not a decrease in shared funding, but there's no increase, which is effectively a decrease when you have inflation. So if we're not giving more money to our school districts, to our communities, cities, towns, villages, then we're essentially defunding them. And that's incredibly important to make sure that we provide the resources that we need for those roles. You know, and I think it'd be helpful if the public not only had more financial literacy, like folks don't know what they have to put aside for retirement, don't know what is a good or a bad loan to take out on for what thing, right? and therefore are, are subject to exploitation, but there's a lack of public understanding of the functioning of government. Uh, we have a party, the Republican Party now, that has defunded local government through strangling shared revenue. The, the, the compact is supposed to be the state has the broad progressive income tax and they share it with local governments. They've been cutting them off. Then they turn around and say, oppose all cuts to say, public safety and say they're the ones who stand for that when in fact they're cutting the money for it or cause forcing horrible choices uh, between public safety and other vital mandated oftentimes city and county and school district services. So you think the treasurer can play a role in trying to make people understand that's the legislature that decide whether your city had enough money uh, to do what it needs to do? I think so. I think that the advocacy part and raising awareness is incredibly important. I know there is a handful of school districts just in Dane County that are going to operating referendums. It's not even to build new buildings. It's really just so they can pay teachers more and give them raises that they deserve. 
And our business person here at our school district said that there's 421 school districts in the state. If shared revenue doesn't change in the next couple of years, there's going to be about 421 referendums that are doing this because every school district is running into that problem. And you see that same problem in the cities, towns, villages as well. I was talking with someone who works in Lancaster, Wisconsin, and they don't have a lot of growth there. They have a thousand more dollars this year to use in their budget from last year. How can you give raises with a thousand dollars? How you can pay the increases just in the health care for your employees in that case? Aaron, it sounds like, um, and again, referencing Sarah, the previous treasurer, uh, there's a huge education program that component that goes with this job, uh, given the constraints that have been put on it. Um, it strikes me as in many ways, you're perfectly suited as an educator and someone who understands these connects. And Robert talked about it, right? Like the state, one of its primary functions is to fund education. Uh, and, you know, just having you uh, in this office uh, could be extraordinarily helpful in continuing sort of the broader public education program uh, that Sarah has undertaken. Uh, any further thoughts you have on that? And then would love to, uh, you have to win first. Uh, love to get any thoughts you have on how folks can get involved uh, in your campaign and or donate and what you see as critically important for someone like yourself uh, running for treasure to win. Absolutely. I think you're talking about my unique qualifications. The other piece of that is my education and previous work history. I have a business degree from UW-Green Bay and an MBA from Whitewater. And my focus is on marketing and communications and worked for 16 years in the marketing field. So when you talk about the importance of communication and getting the word out, I do feel like my background is uniquely qualified for that. So I think that's an important piece to that. And so when you talk about, you know, getting the word out, that's so critically important in terms of kind of getting the word out my campaign. Uh, my website is AaronForWI.com, A-R-O-N-F-O-R-W-I.com. At this point in time, it's, you know, trying to find groups of people throughout the state. I've been traveling the state doing that already. I have a digital campaign that I'll be starting off uh, pretty soon here for the last two to three weeks. You know, fundraising all depends on how many days I can do that. But that's a big piece as well, getting the word out, talking to as people as I can, and making sure that they understand that this, including everything else, and I get it, governor is more important, the Senate race is more important, but all these races are important. There's local assembly races, everything. And so when I'm going throughout the state, I'm seeing people who are working hard, they're getting people out, they're knocking doors, and all that is incredibly important. And that's actually very great to see for myself how enthusiastic people are throughout the state. Well, first of all, folks, we're going to have a link to directly donate to help Aaron. Please punch that. It's very important to make sure he has the resources he needs. But I want to just underscore uh, Aaron won a tight primary. Part of that is because Dane County is now a significant, critically important base of Democratic voters, in addition to Milwaukee and a whole bunch of other areas. And Dane County is going to be absolutely critical. And the turnout we saw from the Marquette poll, Aaron, we were talking about it. It it doesn't matter which candidate you get out and help, get out and expand this turnout. If we can get all the registered voters out, get more registered voters 
we will win this election and folks like Aaron will also win. So please, please, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on uh, and talking with us. And most importantly, thank you for running. Uh, it's absolutely critically needed uh, that we have more civil servants like yourself running for office. Uh, you have a uniquely suited background for this position. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So folks, it's crystal clear. This show's laid it out. You need to volunteer. We've got tons of volunteer opportunities. We'll have links to that. Get out, volunteer. Let's get out the vote. We need historic turnout. We can do it and we can win. With that, we got to wrap up the show, folks. We want to thank our producer, Brian Woodridge, who makes the show happen every week. And of course, thank Aaron Richardson for joining us. We'll see you next week. Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>